You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer podcast, recorded live from the University of Vermont's Continuing and Distance Education Department with your host, Greg Dunkley. Whether you're looking to break into the craft beer industry or start your own brewery, this podcast is for you. Each week, we will discuss all aspects of the craft beer industry from sales, operations, marketing, trends, and analysis with industry experts and thought leaders. If you'd like to be part of the show, please call 929-477-1757. And now here's your host, Greg Dunkling. Uh, Good afternoon. This is Greg Dunkling. Uh, You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer blog talk radio show. We're coming to you live from beautiful Burlington, Vermont. If you've dreamed about opening your own brewery or are looking for a career change into craft beer, our online certificate program offers industry-specific knowledge to make that possible. Your instructors are craft beer experts from across the United States and Canada. University of Vermont's craft Business of Craft Gear program was developed for those specifically wanting to learn about the business side of the, this exciting industry. For further details, give us a call at 800-639-3210 or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com, UVM Business of Craft Beer, all one word. For today's show, we are continuing our summer-long discussion, bubble or sustainable growth, examining today's craft beer industry. We have two excellent guests this afternoon, uh, Steve Gagner, founder head brewer of 14 Star Brewery uh, in St. Albans, Vermont. And then later in the show, Ryan Chafin, Director of Marketing for Feral Distributing here in Vermont. Last show, uh, Bart Watson joined us. Uh, Of course, he's the Chief Economist of the Brewers Association based in Boulder, Colorado. If you missed that, I encourage you to listen to that show, which may be found on iTunes. Just look for Business of Craft Beer at UVM. Today, we're going to examine this issue from the perspective of a producer and distributor. I'd like to welcome the first of today's guests, Steve Gagner, uh, once again, founder of 14 Star Brewery in St. Albans, Vermont. Welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks, Greg. It's, uh, it's a pleasure being on. Uh, one, of, one of the uh, interesting uh, segments uh, in our Business of Craft Beer program at UVM involves branding and telling a brewery story. Um, obviously, it's, uh, it's quality and flavor that first attracts most consumers, uh, yet uh, craft beer enthusiasts are often really interested in the people behind the beer. Uh, 14th Star has a great story about how you got started, and you've probably repeated this thousands of times by now, and, and maybe at the Brewers Fest this, this last weekend in Burlington. But would you mind telling us uh, one more time, what's the, the genesis of 14th Star Brewery? Sure. Um, I would like to start by saying that I think um, I think you got it a little bit backwards. That um, I think it's actually the branding, packaging, and story of a beer that actually attracts people to it first, and then it's the okay. quality and flavor of the beer that actually keeps them coming back and purchasing that that or making that second and third purchase. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think you're uh, you're spot on that the quality and flavor have to be there. Um, Fourteen Star actually started um, while I was deployed. Uh, with the army in Afghanistan, uh, commanded a small detachment out in the mountains in Eastern Afghanistan. And, uh, I had been home brewing for about a decade at that point. And, um, you know, when you're deployed, there's only a few things you think about, uh, beer and getting out of the army are two of the big three. And, uh, uh, 
I knew I didn't want to stay in the army my entire life. And, uh, uh, and I knew I didn't really want to work for anyone else after I retired. So I started looking at, uh, those things that I could do, uh, post army and, uh, and where we lived in our little patrol base, we had no power, no running water, no internet. Um, I was the, you know, the highest ranking guy for like a hundred miles, which was great. Um, but, uh, no access to information. So really mostly as a, as a mental exercise between combat operations and patrolling and cleaning equipment and rehearsing and preparing for, for future operations, uh, just started writing a business plan, uh, for a brewery and all of the, the data was made up because I didn't know, I knew what I could buy uh, grain and hops from, from Ann down at Vermont homebrew and, uh, in Winooski shout out to Ann. Um, but I didn't know what I could purchase it for, uh, wholesale, nor what I could sell the beer for wholesale or retail. Um, and how that would affect my margin. So I really just did it as a mental exercise. Um, and then when we came home, I uh, was talking with my wife about it. And uh, I kept kept brewing and kept telling her, you know, I, I have this idea, I have this idea. And finally one day she said, you know, do it or shut up, but I'm not going to listen to you anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then basically at that moment, um, I had a very, very dear friend of mine, um, from the time he was diagnosed to cancer to his death was like 96 hours. And, um, or at least the time he let us know that he had been diagnosed. Um, and so I realized that I, you know, you never know how much time you have on this earth. And if I have an idea to do something and I really want to try and make it great, I have to do it and I have to do it now. Um, so, uh, we started the brewery and it was supposed to be something that we could just, you know, grow slowly, uh, or the next couple of years until I retired and, uh, and then have something to do in retirement. Um, and sales and, and the buzz just kind of blew up on us. And so we went um, from making, you know, 60 gallons our first month to about 6,000 gallons a week right now. Wow. That's dramatic growth. When, when did you actually start the brewery? Uh, we started brewing in May of 2012. Wow. Okay. Now, I recently had the opportunity to visit your, your new location. I, d- I did not visit your initial uh, location. Uh, uh, tell us where you started and were you bumping up against space limitations as your production grew? Uh, you have a, a good sized tap room now in your new location and was that another factor in your move? Yeah, so we started off uh, in a little uh, garage space down on Lower Newton Street in St. Albans. Uh, we started there because it was wide open, um, the rent was good, and the landlord actually uh, uh, was very cool with us doing something kind of unique and not be, not before done in the area. Um, and he, you know, he gave us a chance to to kind of screw it up. And uh, so we started with a little 1,200 square foot spot, uh, about 300 square feet of which was retail where people could come in and fill growlers. And really our, our business plan just called for, you know, making one barrel a week and filling growlers, um, refining the, the recipes and kind of growing from there. Um, so that was the first location. Um, about, about a year and a half into it, we had grown to the point where we had grown out of our first system, had built a second brewing system, and we were brewing eight times a week on that uh, three-barrel system. Wow. And so we said, you know, we should look for something bigger. And initially, our original business plan called for a little 10-barrel brew pub in St. Albans. Um, but given the the demand and the trajectory of growth we'd been on, uh, we actually um, 
did some extra research, did some extra learning, and uh, and actually invested uh, in a larger brew house. So we moved from our 1,200 square foot space, starting with a one barrel brewery, then a three. Um, we moved to now we're in 16,000 square feet um, with a uh-huh. 30 barrel brew house, uh-huh. and uh, and our tap room is about uh, 3,000 square feet, and it fits about 150 comfortably um, and legally because that's all the fire marshal allows to have. Uh, but yeah, that having the ability to have a tap room, um, was great. Um, but that was one of the reasons we were able to move up there. The other reason was, uh, you know, we really wanted to be a leader in our community and the bowling alley was going out of business. And so you had this huge location in the middle of downtown that would be very hard to fill for most normal businesses. Um, and so if you have that kind of vacant space dead set in the middle of main street, uh, it's just kind of an eyesore and, and an economic depressant, um, and so we were we were glad to be able to do a lot of the things that we did in addition to giving the uh, giving the city kind of a, an economic boost, if you will. And that's great. A couple of weeks ago, when I had Bart uh, Watson on, uh, we did uh, talk some about trends uh, across the country, and and he noted that um, you know one of those trends is that more and more breweries are uh, adding tap rooms. Um, mm-hmm. I guess in, in part, it's it's uh, the finances work great when you can sell beer directly to con- consumers, but it's also sure. about uh, expanding and, and developing that brand and that connection to place. Uh, people can yeah, go absolutely. and actually spend some time. You know, I'm sure you see that a lot. Yeah, it's uh, so the the business inc- implications of our tap room are really threefold. Um, first, you know, you, you mentioned we can sell at a higher margin. Um, but it also allows us to experiment with beers that we can just kind of throw out there and see what people think about them uh, in a real yeah. life. You know, they're spending they're spending money on them environment because when you're in a home brewer, everyone tells you that your beer is fantastic because you know, a lot of people only drink, a lot of people only drink four kinds of beer and that's bottles, cans, free, and cold. So, uh, and then you know, but when people have to plunk down five bucks for a beer, you're going to get an opinion whether you like it or not. Yeah, and so that allows us to test new beers and and. Third, it allows us to meet, interact with our customers, and actually provide a space through which we can do a lot of our community outreach and engagement. Uh, we're we're talking with Steve Gagner, founder of Fourteen Star Brewery in St. Albans. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, the phone lines are open. Uh, give us a call at nine two nine four seven seven one seven five seven. That's nine two nine four seven seven one seven five seven. I'd like to uh, bring in caller 9629. Uh, please announce yourself and where you're calling from. Hi. Oh, thanks for thanks for answering. Um, I'm Shannon. I'm from Essex Junction. Um, thank you so much, Steve. This has been super informative. Um, and I actually, I really liked your comment earlier on the importance of branding. And I was just wondering if you could tell me what you feel distinguishes 14th Star from hundreds of other brands out there. And, you know, how would you describe your primary consumers and your loyal fans? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Shannon. Um, you, you know, like any of the other breweries um, that take themselves seriously, you know, we, we brew high-quality beers as, as good as we can make it. Um, but what's interesting about us is, uh, you know, the founders and the owners, we, we have other professions. Um, so we're not – we don't actually rely on the brewery for a livelihood, and that – that's one of those things that allows us to take a hobby that has become a profession um, 
and we get to take some of the money that we would have normally paid ourselves in salary. Um, I'm the lowest paid employee at 14 star. Um, and actually, uh, you know, use a lot of that stuff for, um, our community outreach, um, reinvesting in the business. Um, you know, some of the, some of the things we do for our employees, you know, we, we offer full healthcare for our employees, fitness club memberships. Um, we send them to professional development around the country. Um, so I think we distribute our, or we, excuse me, distinguish ourselves as an employer uh, and as a business. But from a brand point of view, um, you know, one of our founding tenets has always been to make our community a better place to uh, live, work, and, and raise children. So we devote an extraordinary amount of time, I think, in not just in uh, in money, but in, in time and resources and personnel to to benefiting. Uh, our community, um, you know, and, and we're known as the, the veteran owned brewery, but I don't think, I don't think it's the fact that we were in combat that, that distinguishes us necessarily from other brands. But I think the lessons that we learned there about taking care of people and prioritizing, uh, discipline, dedication, and drive, I think really that's the distinguishing factor. Um, I don't know. Did that answer your question? Very long answer to very short question. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Uh, Steve, uh, let's explore uh, for a minute um, the following the trend of what consumers want uh, versus differentiating your brewery from others. Um, I, again, uh, Bart and I talked a little bit about the differentiation uh, that might be needed in today's uh, increasingly crowded market. Um, of course, the trend approach uh, intends to pay attention to what consumers are wanting and what's selling, um, and offering a portfolio that matches that demand. Um, I recently spoke with a, a VP of marketing for a brewery, and after resisting the urge to produce an IPA, yet one more IPA, they finally relented and added this to their portfolio. Uh, but talk about this trend versus niche, niche uh, discussion, and how does uh, what does this actually mean to differentiate in today's market? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I really think the days of being differentiated as a brand by the beer or the styles of beer that you're brewing really are gone, uh, unless you're coming out with something totally unique and different. Um, you know, there's there's outliers, um, but there's so many brewers out there making so many great versions of, of basically all known styles of beer um, that at some point, if there's a segment that becomes profitable, like like double IPA was in previous years, it's going to become saturated. Um, you know, we brew a, an award-winning double IPA. There's several breweries in Vermont. Uh, you know, Fiddlehead brews two double IPAs that they release uh, that are wonderful. Foley Brothers have several double IPAs. Um, so the more and more a segment is successful, the more and more it will become exploited by uh, competition. And so niche will only be niche until it becomes profitable. And then, market forces dictate that competitors run or, and once that happens, competition either um, drives quality or once there's saturation, it, it drives, uh, um, it drive the competition drives profit, profitability towards being threatened. And I, you know, that's, that's just the, the laws of economics. Um, so I think differentiation therefore, um, because brewing is, is an art and a science, but, you know, basically any brewery has the opportunity to make an IPA, double IPA, stout, whatever. 
Um, so I think differentiation, therefore, is, is about telling your story um, and being the person and the brand and the brewery that, that not everyone else is or, or can be. Um, so, you know, we support um, St. Albans. We support the veteran community. Um, and we support the homebrewing community because those are the, the three communities that are closest to us. And, um, you know, I think that's the way that we differentiate ourselves, not through our beer, which is fantastic. If you've never tried it, you should. Uh, but no, yes, I, I think we do. <laughs> <laughs> I no. think the best way for a brand to differentiate themselves is just by telling their story um, because yeah. you're going to connect with a certain segment of people. And, and and that's that's probably one of the advantages to a small local local producer uh versus the what uh, they describe themselves as as craft breweries but they've almost become national brands um you you, you seem to be able to at at a local level connect with your community in a way that the national brands can't well um you know that's uh we have the ability to go out and meet our our consumers, um, you know, and, and we're some of our own biggest consumers. But, uh, you know, we get a chance to get out and meet uh, the people that are investing in 14-star in every time they make that purchase at a restaurant or at a retail establishment. Um, in addition, you know, we also have uh, advocates around the state, you know, uh, soldiers that I deployed with or work with. Um, yeah people had been up to the brewery and had a great experience. And so, you know, there, there are great national brands uh, that are in the state that, you know, they may employ a salesperson, but they don't have that personal connection uh, with yeah. the consumers. I think, I think going forward, getting, I think to, to where you're going with this as, as you know, the, the proliferation of brands grows and we near market saturation, that customer interaction and connection um, is going to become vital um, as we reach uh, a tipping point in the industry. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd like to uh, bring in uh, another caller, uh, 1044. Please announce yourself and where you're calling from. Uh, hi, yeah, this is um, Christian. I'm the owner of Overshore Brewery down in Connecticut. Hey, Christian. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, Thanks for calling in, Christian. Yeah, um, yeah. Just kind of wanted to uh, get a feel for how the show is going. Um, so, when well, you maybe maybe I can out... ask this question to both of you, if 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 you could, okay. Christian. Uh, Christian and I spoke yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and it's going to be joining us later this summer. Um, th this question of the the bubble uh, in in craft beer seems that so many people are talking about it, and uh, Bart Watts and I spent quite a bit of time on that theme. Um, sure we all all have run into many people both in the industry and, and consumers alike that are uh, talking about it um, when I when I look at the production statistics for Vermont for example um, as reported by the Brewers Association uh, these numbers indicate a very healthy year-to-year -year growth uh, with the exception I think of only one brewery last year everybody is doing quite well uh, the question, I guess, is, is this sustainable uh, with an ever-growing number of uh, national craft brands landing in Vermont and Christian, you're down there in Connecticut. Um, is there a, a limit to this growth or a slowing down of growth in the years ahead? Uh, 
when you look at the craft market in, in Vermont or even uh, in Connecticut, Christian, in a few years, uh, what, what do you guys see? I think there's a I think there's a couple different ways to look at that. Um, you know, in the in the short term, I I'm not one of the people that is kind of the doomsday sayers of well the bubble's going to burst and everyone's going to go out of business. I I don't think that that's realistic. You know, when you look at what's happening with market share, one two percent down for the big brewers is a lot of upside for small guys like us. There's a lot of consumers out there. There's a there's an enormous market. Um, you know, being down in Connecticut, we, I, I often compare our state to Oregon, which, you know, is a much more developed craft beer market than, than we are. But it has a very similar population size. And as of a couple of years ago, craft beer in Oregon was something like a $6 billion industry. And and it's funny because I, ha I have the same conversation over and over with people in Connecticut that have lived their whole lives in Connecticut. And, you know, I've, li I've lived in Vermont, I've lived in New York, I've lived in Washington State, I've lived in Massachusetts. And I, I've, so I've, I've lived and worked and, and been a consumer in other much more developed craft beer markets. Um, and I just kind of laugh and I, and I say, you know, we're Connecticut's 10 to 15 years behind places like Vermont. And I said, you know, we're barely scratching the surface of what we can do from a creative standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, from a, a market standpoint. And, and we have a very funny market down here because it's, it's very undeveloped and, and there are certain hurdles that, that the state has prevent a lot of small breweries from doing business here, and, and that includes imports as well. And so people's perspective in this market is somewhat sheltered. Um, because we don't have all the varieties available to us. And so when a bunch of breweries start popping up, people think it's this explosion, and, <laughs> and it, we're, we're so far behind, it, 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 it's just it's silly. Um, but, you know, I, when I was, like Steve, I was writing my business plan years ago, and I was doing some research on the alcohol market in general, because, of course, you know, we're not just in competition with, uh, other brewers, you know, we're also in competition with the wine industry and the spirits industry, and and you can see that in in the way that different markets develop based on taxation and access. Um, you know, the way Vermont functions is obviously very different than the way New Hampshire functions, and you know, I I think it's a direct reflection of how spirits are distributed between the two states. If you look at the the New Hampshire state liquor stores, you know, you get a lot of people with more purchasing power who are you know, less price sensitive, and they're all spirits drinkers. Whereas in Vermont, you know, the Vermont State Liquor Store has generally poor access. It has poor selection. The prices are high. And so the kinds of consumers that we rely on uh, in Vermont are all beer drinkers, which is fantastic for brewers, but it's not so great if you're in the spirit business. So, uh, you know, great. Let, let me bring uh, Steve into this just to give his perspective uh, from, from Vermont, the uh, vantage point of Vermont. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, <clears throat> whether or not there's a, a beer bubble, um, I think the definition between um, a rapidly expanding market and a bubble is, uh, I think Ben Bernanke said it, uh, or maybe I get the wrong chairman of the Fed, uh, irrational exuberance. Um, you know, there are certainly people entering the market that are doing it for the wrong reasons or they're doing it for a payoff. Um, 
But I think, you know, if you look at any industry, there's certainly a limit. Some people call it a carrying capacity. That's just basic economic theory. Um, where that limit is, we don't actually know. You know, we're fortunate to live in a state that has a higher per capita consumption of beer than any other state uh, by almost double. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the breweries that are entering, people say, oh, we've gone over this many breweries, this many breweries. You know, when's it going to hit 10,000? A lot of the new breweries we're seeing are coming in at the, you know, one, three, five barrel size. And so they're not adding a ton of capacity. They're not adding a ton yeah, of uh, right. yeah, brewing capacity to the industry. Um, so let's assume that it keeps growing and the number of breweries and the capacity keeps growing. I mean, we, we will reach a certain limit where production exceeds demands, competition gets fierce and, uh, and some businesses fail. I mean, that's, that's what happens. But I think the brands that, that ride out the market correction, um, are those who, um, are connected to their core customers who, because those are the people who continue to buy their beer in the face of stiff competition. Um, the businesses that have set themselves up financially and haven't over leveraged themselves um, and, and are, and are putting themselves in sound financial footing. Um, and, and those that just plain make good beer. I mean, if short of all three of those, when there, if there is, when eventually there is a market correction, um, you know, if you're short with one of those, you're going to have a, a difficult time. Um, yeah. But but just like the the housing bubble, um, you know the average American. I can't speak to how the housing bubble affected other segments of the economy. But the mortgages of people who made prudent uh, mortgages or took prudent mortgages, um, they weren't all that affected by the fact that that hell went to uh, you know everything went to hell in a handbasket. They because they made prudent investments on realistic real estate and something they could afford. You know they they survived that. So I think uh, the brewing bubble isn't, isn't much different. Yeah. Well, uh, Steve, uh, thank you. Um, I'll keep you on the line here, but uh, I'd like to just take a, a moment, uh, a break, and uh, then we'll bring in uh, Ryan Chafin from Feral Distributing. Uh, let's take a moment here uh, for our sponsor, the University of Vermont's Business of Craft Beer Program. For those listeners, if you've dreamed about opening your own brewery or looking for a career change into craft beer, our online certificate program offers industry-specific knowledge to make that possible. Uh, your instructors are, again, craft beer experts from across the U.S. and Canada, and uh, the University of Vermont's craft beer program was developed for those specifically wanting to learn about the business side of this industry. Uh, for further details, give us a call at 800-639-3210 or visit our Facebook page at Facebook, of course, uh, UVM Business of Craft Beer, one word. Okay, um, now I'd like to bring in, as I mentioned, uh, into this discussion, Ryan Chafin. He's the Director of Marketing at Feral Distributing which is, um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but I think it's the largest wine and beer distributor in the state of Vermont. Uh, Ryan uh, joined Farrell's uh, after 11 years working for the Long Trail Brewing Company in numerous roles. Uh, joined them in, 2000, in 2013, uh, last being the state uh, manager for that brand. Um, and then he uh, comes to this position with uh, years of experience in business and brand management, digital, social media marketing, event and field marketing, partnership alignment, and community outreach experience. So welcome, Ryan. 
Hey, thank you very much. It's a happy after sunny afternoon here uh, in Vermont, and uh, it's an honor to, to to follow Mr. Mr. Steve there. He's a he's a a man that I and Mr. Farrell here respect with uh, uh, have a lot of respect for him. I remember when he walked down our halls the first time in his military gear. I thought I was in big trouble, but he uh, he had a big hug, and uh, I, uh, I I appreciate what he does. He's a he's a real icon in this industry. <laughs> oh, great. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about this whole, uh, some of these questions uh, and slightly different ones from the distributor perspective. Um, um, I know that uh, Feral uh, Distributing is a partner uh, for a number of Made in Vermont producers. Um, how many total craft breweries now do you represent um, in, in total? And then specifically, how many of these are Vermont producers? So we, you know, our, our made in Vermont portfolio is something that <clears throat> is certainly very important to us. It's it's been growing over the years. It started back in back in the 80s with Catamount Brewing Brewing Company, then Longfellow and Harpoon, of course. Uh, as of today, we represent and work with about 14 partners from the state of Vermont, uh, half of which are are just sold in Vermont, and um, even some of those are just sold on draft. So uh, about half are just uh, in the in the Green Mountain State. Great. Well, with uh, increased competition, uh, this must pose challenges for uh, uh, you as a distributor as well as uh, a number of breweries. I certainly, in my conversations, uh, find um, find competition to be on a lot of people's minds. Um, how do you work with a, a new brewery to, to build their, their brand and their marketing messaging, as, uh, as Steve mentioned before? What do you see as the the roles for distributor and producer to accomplish this brand building activity. Well, you know, it starts. Uh, it, it starts with first of all what the what the annual business plan is, and, and and not the annual business plan that that a brewery or like a guy like Steve has for their company, but what is the what is the annual what is the market plan that we are kind of building and agreeing that we think is feasible to 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 do in the market and that could be that includes volume and distribution goals and, and community outreach and and marketing efforts and sampling and tasting and brew fest and all those kind of things that we do together you know we have our jobs and those guys have their jobs so it really starts with um, building that annual business plan and typically happens in the fall Sometimes it happens right after the first of the year, but that is the true foundation um, of of how you start to understand uh, when you when you enter a partnership with somebody. Um, and we use that word. That word's very important to us. It's not a it's, that's not a it's not a brand to us. It's not a it's not just this thing that we have. It's a partner. It's a friend. It's someone who comes in here and um, you know you look each other in the eye and you have a lot of trust with each other. So you start with that and. How you how you do this together is you 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 have you have full transparency and and what each other has to do to to kind of to get where we both think the brand should be you know uh, Steve mentioned community involvement that's a huge piece uh, it's uh, to be important and successful uh, in a in a competitive mature market you have to have that and uh, you know we've learned a lot of lessons um, uh, specifically over the last seven to eight months uh, working with. Um, Working with some new brands, uh, with with the acquisition of a, of, our, of a competitive wholesaler uh, that we went through, and uh, really understanding the importance of, of of having a plan and having that annual business plan uh, laid down to to understand where we're at, and even for a guy like 14 Star, like Steve, you know he's he's in the midst of of amazing growth. So it's important to constantly uh, meet and, and and revise the plan so you're 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 staying ahead of it, so you're not just kind of 
you know, set and forget and, hey, we'll see you next fall. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant conversation about, about where we're at. Uh, my next question, I'd, I'd like to get both of your perspectives on this. Um, some breweries that we've spoken with nationally um, have found a success being hyper-focused on local. Uh, and in some cases, this may mean in their home state, and that's what they view as their market, or in other cases, even far more local, perhaps a 50-mile diameter from their brewery. Uh, we hear, hear some of them say, uh, you know, saturate my local market before expanding into faraway regions. Um, do you see examples of this uh, in Vermont? Uh, what might be the advantages or disadvantages of this approach? And, and Steve, how do, you, how do you sort of look at this? Do you see Vermont as your, as your primary market, or do you see, are, you, are you outside of Vermont now? Uh, we are outside of Vermont. We distribute um, in the greater Boston area as well as the north and south shores of uh, Massachusetts, um, yeah. and we just received approval for New Hampshire. That being said, um, you know Vermont is our is our home market, and, and as as much beer as Vermonters want to drink, we will produce and sell in Vermont, um, and our out of state markets um, basically get uh, what's available once. Uh, Ryan and our and our partners at Farrell really, uh, you know, have really worked the market, and they've done a fantastic job. And I really want to echo up what Ryan said about distributors and uh, and brewers being partners. I mean, we have a fantastic relationship with Farrell, and if it wasn't uh, and if it wasn't a true partnership, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of misunderstandings that can occur, and, and they've been fantastic. Um, but that said, I think there's a lot of fantastic. Um, um, examples of breweries who are focusing uh, on their most local market. Brian Eckert of Four Quarters Brewing is a great example in Winooski. Um, you know, The Alchemist. Um, I know it's killing Ryan me mentioning other brands that aren't that aren't Farrell brands, um, <laughs> but the you know The Alchemist only delivers within a certain radius, um, and uh, and have since actually cut back on their allocations. So they can sell more out of their own brewery, so. Um, you know, the more and more you can get to local, the more and more you can directly impact um, uh, the delivery of the beer. And, um, you know, we're just fortunate enough we have a distributor like Farrell that makes sure that the same condition it leaves the brewery is the same condition it shows up at retail. Yeah, and there's there's a, there's a lot of times when when things happen and mistakes happen and 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 on on both sides. And it's important that you know you've got a good relationship that that you can have the conversation. We've We've had our shares of, of, of bumps and hiccups too, and 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 you know you've, you've got to be able to have a, a good strong business conversation about making sure you're riding the ship or you're or you're fixing the problem, and that goes for both sides. So, um, and listen, I love Hetty Topper, by the way, Steve. So, um, you know when you when you talk about um, when you talk about owning the home market, it's it's critical. You know, I, I worked, uh, I had the fortunate um, responsibility of managing a lot of business for, you know, Long Trail, you know, 13, 14 years ago, 15 years ago. And, you know, we looked upon, you know, central Vermont and the Killington region and the Rutland region as, as the home base. And, and you kind of have to, you have to dig your roots in, you got to get deep and you got to kind of, you got to really be strong there because when folks come up and, and, and they and they visit your location, they want to see your dominance in that local market. And I think it's very important. And there's a lot of great breweries in Vermont doing that. Um, you know, Von Trapp and Stowe and, and Otter Creek and, and Dropping and Middlebury. So, um, you know, not, not only just for Vermont, I mean, even nationally. I mean, you look at some of the national, like, you know, iconic brands. You know, you look at, you look at the Sierra Nevadas and you look at the Stones and even the Goose Islands in Chicago. 
those, those guys have tremendous market share in their home markets. And when you have that and you have that buzz from your home state, it trickles, and it trickles to when you release uh, your brands in new states. I was a part of team, a team that, that rolled out uh, our brand in different markets, and you always spoke about your home market. You always spoke about how strong you were and the connections and the alliances you had. And, and, and you always kind of you always felt proud about that, and it absolutely helps your business when you launch in other markets when, when, you, have a, when you have a good, strong, you know, 50 to 100-mile radius from your brewery. Yeah, I mean, if you think um, about it, so if the people, if the people, sorry, if the people who no, go ahead. you know live and work in your community, if they don't care about your brand, why should anyone else? <laughs> Good point. I wanted to uh, sort of go back to this uh, uh, question I had asked Steve earlier about the the bubble, and we've been talking about all summer here, uh, Ryan, and get your get your take on this, um, Vermont uh, is ranked number one in breweries per capita. Um, this can be a, a blessing and a curse. Uh, is there a, a saturation point or limit to how many breweries we can support in our small state? Um, Watson, uh, Bart Watson, of course, uh, has written about the saturation in some markets, although he also makes a, a strong case for this not being a concern when we look at the total U.S. beer market. Uh, is Vermont approaching a point of saturation, or is this truly a rising tide lifts all boats, uh, which seems to have been the case up until now? Um, or will we likely experience a future where competition, including uh, the competition you just mentioned of other national or regional brands entering our, our market, uh, create winners and losers? Well, <laughs> I think you and I and Steve could hunker down for a week with a, with a couple cases of beer and talk about this one at great length. And, um, <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to do that. <laughs> well, listen, let's, uh, be careful what you ask for, Greg. You know, we'll see you in our early <laughs> Um, and, and I know a guy with beer, so. <laughs> you know, you, you, it's, I always I, I love the I love the number one breweries per capita. You know, I, I, it's fun. I yeah, wonder right. if most people in the country know that we only have six hundred thousand people that live here. Um, <laughs> right. So it's you know, but uh, it, it is it is a cool thing. Um, it is a blessing and a curse. There's no question. And 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 is there going to be a saturation point? Of course there is. I mean. Are we there? No, I don't think so. I mean, you make a, you know, I heard Steve make a few points that I would go back to and say as well. And, you know, one thing I would say is that, you know, this is not the housing crisis of 2008. You know, this is not going to be a, all of a sudden you wake up on the front page of the papers and there's going to be 30 breweries that aren't in business. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to be that way. It's not going to go that way. You know, this is, I don't even know if I even want to use the word bubble or correction. I just think it's going to be a gradual process of, 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 the continual addition of SKUs and finding home for them in the market. And, and are they received, uh, the consumers receiving them? And, and then at that point, there's just going to be some, some, some breweries who just, you know, they're just not where, where they want to be, and they're going to decide to kind of do something else. You know, a lot of breweries like, like, like 14 Star, this, this isn't their only job. A lot, a lot of folks are doing other things too. Um, and I think it's just going to be a, it's just going to be a kind of a, a longer process. And you have to remember something about Vermont is that we have a very vibrant wine and cider industry. You know, we, we have, we have some incredible cideries in the state of Vermont that are, that are doing some, some serious business, you know, citizen cider and Champlain orchards and, and woodchuck. And, and even on the wine side, you know, we have a, we have a, we have a huge wine portfolio. And I heard somebody mention earlier about, you know, beer and wine and liquor competing. And of, of course they compete with each other. Um, but, you know, you look at like, you, you look at the wine scene here in Vermont and, and, and I've certainly never walked into a store and seen a wine section get smaller. You know, they, they, they get bigger and, and, and there's more choices. And, you know, now when you go shopping for a bottle of wine, you shop it by varietal. You don't shop it by, you know, you don't shop it by brand. 
Um, so yeah, there's there's going to be there's going to be some sort of some sort of petering out. It's 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 only natural. It's just kind of the, the way it goes. And you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. But you know, um, some people drowned at high tide too. You know, and uh, you need a boat. <laughs> You need a boat with a good foundation, and 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 you need a good business plan, and you need to be making good choices with your investments. And um, it's only natural that the market is going to adjust. It's it's continuing to adjust. We've never seen a a, a market like this. It's 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 new every day. There's new stuff on the shelf. I mean, I I was in a I was in a store in Montpelier, a great great beer store, um, the Hunger Mountain Co-op, and. Uh, what a great selection. And, and, you know, if I walked down that aisle 10 years ago and I saw all the warm section bombers that I saw, right, I would have said, oh, man, that's, that's, that's death row. Like, you know, you, you, you take somebody's bomber, you put it on that shelf in the warm section, and you're just doing that to appease the distributor or, or, or the rep was a great guy and you want to take care of them, you know, and nothing really turned. But the entire set was, was half the stuff was gone. I mean, people in this market, consumers and beer fans, they're they're trying anything. They're, you know, price point is really not an issue. They're 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 trying it. As, as as Steve said, you know, I agree with them. It's it's a, the branding and the story is number one, and and the liquid kind of gets you the second time. So, it's a it's an ever changing market. There's still a lot of room for growth. There's still a lot of space. I mean, the national brands are still growing. Yeah, they're not growing at the rates in which they were, uh, but but we've got a long way to go before you start seeing, you know, a lot of people kind of saying, you know what, I think I'm out of this thing. And, and I'm not quite sure that it's going to even go that way, to be quite frank. Well, uh, we are getting close to uh, the end of today's show. I will uh, bring in one additional caller, uh, 0979. Uh, do you have a question for our two guests? Hi, guys. Yes, yeah, uh, Sean from New York. Um, kind of a question related to growth uh, for Steve and Ryan, but as you guys do grow and success gets bigger, you're obviously adding on more staff. What are you looking for in terms of people when you go out to hire someone new and not necessarily a brewer where you need a, you know, obviously his or her uh, talent being brewing, but it's more in terms of marketing or sales staff. What qualities do you look for in hiring new people? Well, Ryan, if you don't mind, I'll grab that one first. Um, so, we went from uh, just a couple years ago having zero employees to uh, I think we just hired our 14th. Um, honestly, whether it's brewing or front of house or an administrative capacity, um, I'm a firm believer in hiring for culture. Um, we have a, a very distinct culture at 14 Star where um, it's a very flat organization. Anyone can, and, and they frequently do, come to uh you know come to me or or the brewmaster and you know hey i got this idea or this problem and and we work it out um but we have a a culture based on um trust and and hard work and community if if i can hire someone who is honest is a hard worker um and shares our values and beliefs about community i can teach a lot of people um, how to do some of the more technical stuff, or, or, or better said, I think our brewmaster Dan and, and head brewer Prescott can teach people the more technical stuff. They're better brewers than I. Um, but what's more important is that they fit in with uh, in with the 14 star culture. We can we can train a lot of stuff, but we can't teach people to uh, to have our kinds of ideals or or uh, or, or to fit into our culture. So. Brian, you want to take that quickly? 
Sure. I, you know, over here, um, it's important that uh, for us, you know, we, we echo a lot of the same things with Steve. You know, I joked when I came over here to Fairless Distributing. You know, Fairless Distributing, it was the first licensed distributor in the state of Vermont going back to 1933, uh, right after Prohibition. And, um, you know, I, I, I called on this, uh, this, this wholesaler as a supplier for a lot of years of my life. Um, and I would always joke that, you know, when you came over here, you, you just you spent the rest of your life here. And uh, it's a great thing. Uh, we, we hire for for folks who want to grow and, and build themselves throughout the ranks of whether it's merchandising or sales or uh, brand management or, or, or operations. And we, we hope that they're here for, for the rest of their careers. Um, you know, in a market like this, it's important that whatever field you're getting, whatever portion of the business you're getting into, uh, you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of training. You know, we have, we have 70, we have 75 Cicerone certified beer servers on staff. We have 12 wow. uh, folks who are WSEP uh, wine certified and, the training here is constant. So um, I think when you get on this side of the business with all the stuff that's in the market, you just have to make sure that you're keeping up with, uh, with your product knowledge. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to shut us uh, off today. I'd like to really thank Steve Gagner from 14 Star Brewery and Ryan Chafin from Feral Distributing for being with us today. Uh, until our next show, enjoy the summer weather, and don't forget to visit your local breweries. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.